Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Today we've got a throwback malicious compliance story all about time spent with a GameCube. We'll get to that in a bit, but first, heavy metal finance. Quite a few years ago now, in the late 1990s and very early on in my career, I used to work for a company that helped customers of certain retail stores manage their finances. My role was as a sort of compliance officer, ensuring that the staff who dealt with customers were following the rules. If they messed it up, it was a big problem and could potentially impact the customer's credit score result in them defaulting on payments and even end up in court. I took my job pretty seriously. The company was not particularly well run from a management perspective. They'd made a lot of money very quickly and had grown from a handful of people in a garage to a four-story office building in the CBD within the space of a year and a half. There wasn't a great deal in the way of policy or process framework, so I had to develop a lot of the tools to do my job myself. This involved some programming, a basic system to track what I was doing, linked to the extensive rule set, and automate some of the more tedious reporting. It would also track how long I was spending on each task so that I could see about which elements I could streamline. Now, I was quite proud of this system and called it Hendrix, as I'm a massive Jimi Hendrix fan and it used to play about 5 seconds of the instrumental version of Little Wing when it started up. As I had my own little room, cupboard, this never used to annoy anyone. I can geek out about that type of stuff. At this point, before corporate IT became rather more rigid, I used to write a lot of my own tools. I was the only person who was using Hendrix, and it was a tool just for me. My manager, the archetypal middle manager, decided that because it allowed you to quickly reference which rules apply to which situation, it should be rolled out to all staff. Now, I had previously considered this, but I argued that I couldn't guarantee that it would be fit for task, because I had designed it for my own use, and I'd need to make some changes first. But he rolled it out anyway without me even getting a chance to tweak it. He got a Team Player of the Week award for introducing a tool to make life easier for frontline staff. In his acceptance speech, this was a big rah-rah thing each week for the company, he thanked HIS manager. I didn't even get a mention. Then two weeks later, he realized that I'd been recording how long I'd been working on certain tasks within the program. Now I'd realized fairly quickly that this part of the program was a little too detailed and I didn't really care too much about every single task within each incident, so I just used it to record how long I spent on the entire incident, rather than each part of the incident. My manager invited me to a meeting about Hendrix, no details given, and I attended thinking it was going to be a list of requested features only to find out that the head of HR was there and I was being given a written warning for falsifying timekeeping. Because each customer interaction was a certain length, my manager had decided that this is what I should be recording, and not how long I was spending listening to, analyzing, checking, and reporting the interaction. 
Remember, this is a tool that I had designed for my own use, and it was not being used to calculate how much I was being paid or whether I was doing enough work during the day or not. There was nothing in place for that at all. I had not made the records public. He'd found them in a file on the server that only he and I had access to. Nobody else was even supposed to have this tool. I argued this and was told that it wasn't up to me and I was getting a warning regardless. It got really quite heated and unpleasant, though I got the impression that the head of HR was a little embarrassed about the whole thing. They said, however, that if I wanted to consult a lawyer, I was quite within my rights to do so. It was at this point that I was rather smugly able to state that I could get two lawyers there within the hour, as both of my parents were practicing, and my mother was, in point of fact, an employment lawyer. I realized that this is a bit of a deus ex machina, but it only has partial bearing on the story. Suddenly, there was a completely different attitude for my manager. There was an attempt to roll back the issue and turn it into a suggestion that perhaps I should be a bit more careful with my timekeeping in the future, but I was pretty angry at this point. I pointed out that my software had been rolled out to all staff against my wishes. I was told that this wasn't up to me as it was company intellectual property, until I advised them that I'd written it in my own time, at home, on my own computer. It was plugging into the official government rule set and not the corporate intranet one. I had not confirmed it fit for general release at all. I had received special dispensation from IT to install it on a single work computer, mine, and I would require them to pay a license fee for anything beyond this. To be fair, this would have been tied up in court for a long time, and I've got no idea whether I'd have been successful, so in the end I relented. If they wanted to use Hendrix, well, I guess they could. I just made sure that little wing would play for one second longer on startup for every week the software was in use. Then I quit the following Monday and was working for another company by Monday after that. Three or four months later, I got a phone call from my former manager asking to come fix the problems with my software. He hung up when I quoted him my consultant fees. I don't know why IT weren't able to figure it out. It was just a setting in a text file, not at all hard to find. My friend who remained in the company tells me they continue to use Hendrix for a whole year. The mornings in the call center were apparently horrifying, with Little Wing playing for around a minute every time someone started a new shift. Sometimes it would play on 20 computers at once, a few seconds apart, on tinny PC speakers that were unable, due to IT, to mute. I've always hated the companies that try to take credit for anything you create. I know there's places that you work for where apparently like even some things you make at home while you're under employment can be like, I don't know, owned by them or something. I don't know if that's exactly legal, but I've heard like similar things happening. You gotta love that this was the equivalent of OP making a fancier sticky note and keeping notes on it. And then because they wanted to roll it out, they get in trouble for it. Also, hi, I'm Steven, and if you enjoy awesome stories of malicious compliance, why not hit those like and subscribe buttons down below? That said, our next story is, Bizarre safety procedures at work cause a hilarious cobra effect. I'm a senior electrical engineer in the industrial sector. I started work at a huge firm a few weeks ago, and right off, my superior detailed what was expected of me every quarter. Among the requirements were one safety violation report a month. I thought, okay, I could keep myself from screwing up more than once a month. 
This is a large factory with everything from spinning grinders to steaming corrosives. So obviously OSHA is a big issue here, but this isn't my first rodeo so to speak. I generally know what I'm doing. So my first month goes by and I keep everything nice and safe. End of the month, one-on-one rolls around. Boss makes it clear, to my surprise, that the requirement is for me to file at least one safety violation a month. Obviously, I inquired how one could go about controlling safety violations as they're inherently accidents, and if I had any way to influence their appearance, I would prevent them in the first place. But he just said I need to keep my eyes open, the violations will appear. Fine, I kept my eyes open, but honestly everything seems perfectly in order. Everyone else in my department were ticking off safety violations one after another and I was nearing the end of month two with nothing. I would go on walks, looking for safety infringements instead of working. Something seemed off, so I looked into the safety violations report Excel, and I was just stupefied. This was a list of the most unbelievably inane infractions I've ever set my eyes upon. I'll give you some examples. Infraction, cabinet door was left open in room. Someone could hit their head. Immediate mitigation, cabinet door closed. Future mitigation, add magnets to cabinet doors. There were countless other esoteric reports like unexplained puddle next to electrical cabinet or stack of cables on floor. I couldn't believe it. These well-educated grown men and women just writing nonsensical safety violations on absolutely anything. I tried approaching one of the guys about it, but he just said to keep my eyes open, the violations will appear. They keep repeating it like it's a mantra and then change the subject. I thought this was ridiculous enough, but then one day a report came in about a ladder missing one of its plastic caps on its legs. Immediate mitigation plastic cap found elsewhere and secured in its place. Now, I was the last one to use this ladder the day before and it was perfectly fine, which led to my conclusion that this man was purposely sabotaging company equipment just so he can fix it and then write a safety violation report. I feel like I'm in an episode of The Office. Everyone I approach about this just brushes it off. Maybe it's because I'm the new guy? Anyway, I couldn't show up to my second monthly evaluation sans safety report, so I went to a random grounding cable, slightly unfastened the bolt, took a picture, and then fastened it back in its place. I wrote a report about it, and the OSHA guy commended me in person about my vigilance. Is this a department-wide grift? Are the managers unaware of this farce, or are they playing along? Usually this would be a huge red flag, but everyone's otherwise really nice and the pay is great. Anyway, ideas as to what I should sabotage next month are welcome. Although I do think it probably at some points becomes impossible to actually live up to the quota, I kind of understand why they have it. Because in a company like this where you have a lot of potential OSHA violations and it's very sensitive, if you demand your workers to find something to report, like yeah, you might have to get to the point where you're just faking things or writing something down just to write something down, but hopefully it means that all the actual things do get caught along the way. I would just go with the flow and continue to find or create things. As long as everybody still seems nice and the pay's good? Sounds like a perfectly fine place. Our next story is my time in a call center. I'd worked for this company that sold overpriced TAT online to people who, if they did a simple Google search, could find said TAT easier. 
I didn't mind the job and was that guy who turned up early, logged on, and to be fair, it was an easy job and time flew by. Well, after a few years, we had a management change, and this new manager in charge of the center was a jerk, dim, and angry. He got the nickname Seagull as he'd fly in, squark loudly, find someone to poop on, and then vanish into his office to do very little. Well, one day I was going to be late in, called the number to let them know the train I was getting was not there, and had to await another and no answer. So I get in and Siegel decides to make a big issue concerning my late arrival. He's got forms out and advises he's going to make this a disciplinary issue. Fair enough, I said. Then pointed out that for it to be a disciplinary issue, he needs to be informing HR and needs another manager in to witness all this. I then gave Siegel the number for HR and advised that I'd be starting work and would happily make up the time re my being late. Well, he says no, that this needs sorting out, and flaps off to find another manager. Well, eventually, an hour or so later, he arrives with the HR manager and starts moaning about staff being continually late. I point out that this is my first instance, and I tried to contact him, and have the call logs on my phone. Well, he's determined to push this, so I point out I'm not signing a disciplinary form over events beyond my control. HR manager agrees with me and I can see Siegel is not happy. So I decide if he wants to play by the rules, I'll give him another headache. Having wasted the best part of the day, it's agreed that nothing is going to be happening. I however decide from then on to work my fixed rota, getting in early each day and sitting at my spot watching the call board flashing with lots of incoming calls and doing nothing until a few seconds before the appointed start time. Siegel hated that but couldn't say anything, and I found out that HR got him sacked for abusing his power later. I heard he upset a few staff and they quit, and the company had to pay out compo. Just so anybody knows, tat apparently is a British word for ornaments, used goods, cheap clothes, or other items of cheap or bad quality. Just in case you were wondering what selling tat is. Needless to say, I don't think anybody would enjoy working for a Siegel. Our next story is, you get to be the Legolas and we can't ever swap? Okay, it's dwarven time. Background. It dawned on me recently that my best bud in fifth grade was a complete spoiled brat. He was nice enough, and we shared the same interests, but when he didn't get his way, he would whine to no end. Even when his parents tried to put their foot down, he would pitch fits. In retrospect, they only tried to control him in front of other people to look like good parents. We would play GameCube at his house all the time since I didn't have any gaming systems. If it was single player, I would just sit there and watch, occasionally getting a turn. But in multiplayer games, he got to choose his character first. When we played Shrek 2, he would whine when he didn't get the character he wanted. This also applied when the Two Towers game came out. He would play a level as his chosen character, Legolas, and his other friend would replay the level as Aragorn. And since I was lowest in the pecking order and just happy to be there, I would replay the level as the least cool character, Gimli. Cue malicious compliance. If you're familiar with the Two Towers game, you can only purchase new moves and upgrades after beating a level, and you can't replay a level as that certain character until you beat the game. I noticed after the first two levels that my buddy skipped right through the upgrade screens and handed over the controller to our other friend. Other friends said, you're not going to level up your Legolas? They said it's not important, just stupid stuff at the end of the level. He wouldn't listen. Other friend and I continued complying with the system of to each their own character. Of course, upgrading our characters. 
while watching our spoiled friend struggle more and more at each level. And about halfway through the game, he got hard stuck on a level with his level 1 Legolas. He realized that our higher level heroes had cooler and more powerful moves as we breezed through the level and began to whine. Let me play as Aragorn or Gimli so I can beat the level. We said no, you said we have to each stick to our own characters. I'm Gimli, he's Aragorn, and you're Legolas. But I can't beat this level. Cue the back and forth argument. He whined until he was red in the face, but we held fast and maliciously to our arrangement. He eventually agreed to three attempts in a row at the level where he was stuck, after which he had to hand the controller over. Other friend and I beat the next couple of levels while he stayed stuck. After we went home, he deleted the save file off his memory card and started over. Whatever, dude. I got my own GameCube a few months later. Honestly, I think this just sucks that what should have been awesome childhood memories of gaming with friends and play- Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Storytime is sponsored by BetterHelp. Nearly everyone at some point in their life will struggle with their mental health, whether that's something stressful at work, in a personal relationship, or something else. I know that I really struggled with anxiety in my early 20s, and therapy was a massive help for me. That's why I'm a massive fan of therapy, and today's sponsor, BetterHelp. If there is anything in your life, big or small, that is negatively affecting you, get it off your chest with BetterHelp. It's an online therapy service that, after finishing a small questionnaire, will match you with a licensed therapist, where you can book appointments that match up with your schedule at any place or any time. And if you feel like you're not bonding with your therapist, you can switch at any point for free. Also, therapy isn't just if you're struggling with mental health. If you're looking for guidance or ways to improve your social skills, life, or relationships, it's a great judgment-free way of doing that. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com StorytimePod today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash StorytimePod. Playing a game you guys both enjoy was turned into just some, like, spoiled, malicious compliance story. I mean, I guess it's nice to get a story out of it, but I'd rather have had the memory personally. Print out the internet? Yes, ma'am. This is about a decade ago, but still within the realm of the internet. I was a technical writer for the government and had slowly been transferring our old employee handbook, think government bureaucracy from the 1940s, into a modern and actually useful doc. Think one page with our policies and links to useful websites, like Office of Personnel Management, forms for workman's comp, etc. My boss wanted the whole thing printed out on her desk the next morning. This was Monday of the Thanksgiving weekend. I printed out the 200 or so pages and just had the links to various websites in bold. 
This took about an hour and I left it on her desk before going home that night. She calls me in her office on Tuesday afternoon and proceeds to yell at me about how stupid I am. Do I think people can just go to a website when it's on paper? No, I need to print everything out. I calmly tell her that these sites are pretty dense and deep and it would be about 10,000 pages. She says she doesn't care, it needs to be on her desk, darn it, first thing Monday morning. Mind you, this is now Tuesday and we usually had some of Wednesday off. I wasn't really planning to work Thursday Thanksgiving or Friday as I'd applied for leave and was looking forward to a nice relaxing long weekend. I don't have family, but I had plans, but okay. I asked for and got the request to have everything pertaining to the employee handbook online in a printed format. I also had real work and real deadlines. A quick bit of context, she was my boss, she did my performance appraisals, and she could make my life miserable and possibly fire me. However, my clients were teams that put together engineering plans, biological assessments, scientific journal articles, reports to Congress, etc., that had real-world deadlines. On some of these, if you missed the publication date, your agency paid $100,000 a day in delay fees. You would piss off a congressperson, which is never a good idea, and I was really getting sick and tired of my boss's requests that took me away from my actual work. So I was printing and printing all the rest of Tuesday afternoon and then Wednesday. I had to go to the site, print, click on the next link, print, etc. On Wednesday, we got a congressional, a letter from a congress critter that was actually important. Had we not gotten that, I might not have done what I did. I got overtime approved pronto to take care of this request. So I did work Thanksgiving. As I was doing that, I kept on printing and printing. I used up every sheet of paper in our 14-story building. I kept on researching the response for the congressional, printing, going to the next floor to carefully get that packet of paper to tuck under the appropriate page, etc. I had paper in about 20 different conference rooms. I could have done the congressional in about 8 hours, but it wasn't due until Monday and all of this printing took me a good 24 hours of work. So I put in for 32 hours, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. Got it done. This is now two stacks of paper, each about six feet high. I was way under in my estimate of 10,000 pages, as it was more about 30,000. Remember, I had at least five printers going at once for four days, etc., I put this in my boss's office, which was already none too clean and pristine. I got written up with a disciplinary hearing and everything. The charge was malicious compliance. I kept my job only because I did have her request in an email. See, obviously this behavior is so ridiculous that nobody's going to believe that they honestly did this, just believing they were following orders. But if OP has the email to back it up and literally repeats that they were told, I want this on my desk, darn it, after they warned them about 10,000 pages, you can't really write up or fire that employee for doing so, right? Also, hi, I'm Steven, and if you enjoy awesome stories of malicious compliance, why not hit those like and subscribe buttons down below? That said, our next story is, write our reports using the language we speak at home? You got it, boss. For background, I teach English as a second language, TEFL. At the end of each semester, we're required to write class reports. 
Previously, we had to write our reports in English or Chinese so that they could be read easily by management. We're in China. Management decided that we shouldn't do this and instead write them using the language you would speak at home. Cue malicious compliance. Several of my colleagues are now writing reports in French, Russian, German, and Spanish. English is my first language, so I still write in English. However, to meet my boss's request, I'm now writing in British slang. Instead of writing class A is very good, I now write class A are the dog's bollocks. For bad classes, I no longer write class B is struggling with writing. I would write class B couldn't write their way out of a wet paper bag. My boss is now struggling but refuses to admit defeat. She's instead spending a lot of time using translation software to understand what we're writing. I don't really understand why they would require this. I mean, I guess it's more inclusive. It's kind of like on brand, I suppose. But organizationally, it makes no sense. And even OP clarified later on, they had no idea why they decided to do this. Our next story is, everything you bought stays in the house? Okay. Roommate and I are moving out of our house we lived in with my ex. His ex's parents owned the house and gave us our eviction notice, which we knew was going to happen. But the final date being a month earlier than we previously agreed upon. He's been staying two hours away with his parents and decided to move down there. One statement is, tenant will not remove the Google Nest as it was bought by the property owner. And hopefully they mean his that he bought and never cared to set up, and not mine, a Christmas gift for my sister and brother-in-law. But you want things he bought? Okay. Here, have half my wardrobe and a bath mat, and I'm taking back my few items as well. I noticed in your absence your drawer of snacks reeks of mold. That sucks, but you bought it, so I'll leave it. My shoes a size and a half too small for you? Take them. A monthly pill organizer when you refuse to be medicated? Too bad. BPD survival guide? With your attitude, maybe you'll need it more than me. Take all these Star Wars books about characters you don't care for. These hangers and loose paper clips, a fan, blankets for a bed smaller than yours, random covers for cushions you don't have anymore that I was going to repurpose. I'm scrounging through every box I've already packed and setting out everything he bought that I didn't, including food that I'll leave in the fridge and freezer for him. I was going to be polite, but now that's less work for me. Somebody suggested, why waste all that electricity? Why not just turn the fridge off and save them all that electricity and just keep all that good food in there for them for later? This next story is, no sauce bags left behind? Okay. I've been waiting for the moment I could post something here, and the day has finally come. Let me open with the characters. Me, almost 20 years old, exhausted and definitely not full of the spirit of life, working barely over 10 hours a week, not by choice, at a fun little fast food place that has the meats. George, mid to late 60s, lovely general manager who could not care less about corporate rules, except for when he did. So I'm working three days a week and we have sauce bottles that we refill throughout the day with either big, six to eight bottles worth, or small, two to three bottles worth, of sauce bags. Normally, if a bag isn't fully emptied, we roll them up and place them into the fridge below the table, keeping them on hand for when we need them and not wasting any sauce. That is, until George spots a bag of mayonnaise sitting there halfway full. Remember those big bags I mentioned earlier? One sandwich uses mayonnaise. One. We keep two bottles of mayonnaise on hand. Of course, the bag is half full. George starts the rule of, we need to empty the bags entirely. We can't store bags under the fridge. 
This is fine because no one enforces it, except for George. The issue is, I closed with George last night. It was my last night working for a few days. Before we finish closing, we refill the sauce bottles. To be nice, you know? But uh uh-oh, the mayonnaise bottles are empty. So, to make sure I get policy right, I double-check with George. George, we empty the sauce bags entirely, right? No matter what? He says, yes, we do. Awesome. We now have seven bottles of mayonnaise that have to be used by tomorrow. No sauce bags left behind indeed. I see nothing wrong with what OP's doing here. I think they're just doing their job at the place that has the meats. Our next story is, we need 10 safety hazard reports for every incident. So I work in a job that has recently introduced a new type of delivery vehicle. One that is woefully inadequate and comes with a whole new set of hazards. They're prone to tipping over, are an ergonomic nightmare, and are about 30% slower in achieving the job than the previous vehicle. Instead of admitting this isn't the right tool for the job, upper management, who of course have never spent a single moment on these vehicles, have doubled down and have introduced psychologists, physios, and trainers to try and put the lipstick on the pig. None of which is working, incident rates and injuries are skyrocketing. Then, being expert managers, they try to place the blame on the daily users of these vehicles. Anything to deflect the blame from them blindly choosing the wrong option. We are obviously doing our jobs badly and must be blindly unaware of the perils we face daily. So that's where the new system comes into play. Pointless paperwork. Multiple people have been removed from their daily jobs in order to enter our safety reports into some central database which only increases the workload and associated safety risks on everybody else. So we are at the stage where our enforced safety reports are pointlessly banal, stating the freaking obvious, or this is where the malicious compliance comes in, increasingly blaming the delivery vehicle. The company is now in the awkward position of trying to claim safety is number one priority, yet downplay any criticism of these crap box vehicles. I almost guarantee you, the reason they're so insistent on this new type of delivery vehicle is probably A, it was the cheapest design they could possibly get, and B, now that they've implemented those, they don't want to have to pay for a new version. Our next story is, wrote me up for winning an award? I'm done helping. A few months back, I shared a story from my former life as a journalist. I'm back now to share another. This story started about 15 years ago. I transitioned out of sports writing into news writing, at a small paper though, so occasionally I'd volunteer to cover a sporting event or two to help out and keep those skills up. I covered two events that first year, so not a lot, but one of them was a really good story, so I submitted it to an awards contest the next year and won. Two days later I got written up because I wasn't assigned to the sports department and therefore made our sports writers look bad by beating them for this honor. Flash forward about three months, between layoffs and a person quitting, the entire sports department is gone, and corporate hadn't authorized any hirings. They asked me to cover a few events a week until they replaced the sports staff. I refused, pointing out that I'm not assigned to the sports department. They asked me to transfer to that short term. I said I'd consider it, but I wouldn't cover anything off of my news beat then, as I wouldn't be assigned to news. They ended up leaving me in the news department. I didn't work there much longer before jumping to the other paper from my other story. Moral here is, while I love newspapers, corporate owners of newspapers 
are ridiculous. I find this is a real problem in workplaces that are just crappy with managers or owners. You help out one team that you don't work for one time just to help out, and all of a sudden they start trying to create expectations that you're going to start just picking up the slack for them in general. Hey, you showed you could do it once, why not uh, do it another time and another time and uh, hey, can you keep helping out with that? Of course we're not going to give you a raise or a bonus or a job promotion. Our next story is giving my daughter exactly what she wanted. Little disclaimer, my daughter is a wonderful kid, she's smart, she's also a smart butt. A couple of years ago, the Rona just started and my daughter was roughly 8 years old, second or third grade elementary school. She was really into salami pizza. I wouldn't allow more than one a week, obviously. So she got the idea of, in France, children get to eat everything they want seven times a week. That's why they like it. No, she got it all wrong. The saying goes that they have to try a certain food seven times before they can decide whether they like it. But I understood her wish. Salami pizza every day. She had this little malicious poop-eating grin of, Gotcha. I answered with the same grin. Okay, you'll get salami pizza the next week. Only salami pizza. Nothing else. She was hyped. Yay, all the pizza. Her favorite frozen types. All of them. Monday morning rolls around. She gets salami pizza for breakfast. Fantastic. Best parent. Monday noon, leftover from the morning. Monday evening, time for the second pizza. I make some for the rest of the family too. Everyone enjoys salami pizza. Fun. Tuesday morning. Guess what's for breakfast? Exactly. Daughter asks for something else. I remind her of my promise. Salami pizza all day, every day for a week. Reluctant. Yay. Tuesday noon. She skips the pizza. Tuesday evening. We're having something else while she chews on her pizza. It isn't as cool anymore, I guess. I eat her leftover pizza. Wednesday morning she sneaks a slice of bread, but I stop her and heat her a salami pizza. She breaks down and asks me to stop. Lesson learned, don't try to outsmart your parents. You might get exactly what you were asking for. Since then she still loves salami pizza, but once a month is fine, really. Honestly, I thought OP would be in danger of making their kid learn to hate salami pizza. I think there's some definite truth to overindulging in a food in a short amount of time can very quickly make you never want that food again. It might sound weird, but I think that exact thing happened to me with Cheetos. When I was a kid, I had like a whole family-sized bag one time, and ever since then, Cheetos have been kind of off-putting to me for some unspeakable reason. The crunchy ones, the puffy ones are still really, really good. It's probably sacrilegious to a lot of people, but it is what it is. But with that being said, that's all the time we have for today. Now, if you want to hear another awesome malicious compliance story, check out that video on the left. Or if you missed my latest video, check out that video on the right. That said, I'll see you all next time with some more stories.